Do you know what you want to do with your life? If you answered no, you're definitely in the right spot because neither do I. My name is Joey Mislowski, I'm 19 years old, and this is the Young Man's Search for Happiness podcast. Every episode I interview a very successful entrepreneur, business professional, doctor, or anybody that has a strong drive to be happy. We talk about their story, what advice they'd give to the younger self, and ultimately what happiness means to them. Welcome to another episode of A Young Man's Search for Happiness podcast. Today joining me is Anton Floquet. Anton grew up in South Africa, where he was brought on at a young age to the military. Here, he was put on a video team where he discovered his passion for film. After that, he went to a prestigious film school in L.A., graduated, and got his first project as a cameraman in Tanzania. Fast forward to now, and Anton has been to over 30 countries, filmed exotic wildlife footage, been to the sunken Titanic, done a reality show with Ice-T, and more recently done a documentary project with Imagine Dragons. Please tune in as he tells one-of-a-kind stories from all across the world, what happiness means to him, and the advice that he would give to his younger self. So here we have today Anton Floquet. I'm pronouncing it right, right? That'll do. That's great. Yeah, well done. Awesome. So could you just give us a background on yourself, like where you grew up, and then how you got to, I guess, where you are today in terms of your career position? Well, I grew up in South Africa uh, during apartheid. Um, and at that time, there was um, a draft. So when I finished high school, I actually went into the military. Um, it was mandatory for uh, white males only, as you can imagine. And uh, while I was there, I spent my first of two years, I spent my first year in the artillery. And then I was able to uh, manage a transfer to a video department. And it was there that I began my uh, transition to my career. So um, kind of a fortuitous, uh, you know, happening in, in a, what started out as a pretty grim two years turned into like the springboard to my career. So um, I was very fortunate in that regard. Yeah. What did you do for video up in um, the military in South Africa? So, um, you know, I got into you know, at the time, this was 1989, November of 1989, I was in uh, a far-flung corner of the country with the artillery, and we were moving towards uh, a conflict that had been going on for about 17 years up in Angola. And as luck would have it, there was a referendum in Namibia. Namibia voted for independence. On the very same day that happened, the Berlin Wall came down, and um, the world started to change. So it was because of that I was able to get transferred to the video unit. Within a few months, Nelson Mandela was released and South Africa took on a new path. So while I was in the military in this video unit, I was tasked with sort of covering kind of military news events, including the United Nations moving into South Africa. And they started managing the transition of Namibia from a South African proxy to its own independent state. That also ended the, the conflict in Angola. So. Um, I was very lucky, literally learning in the trenches, and um, I grew a good sort of video knowledge there, uh, shooting, uh, editing, and whatnot, and I used that when I got out of the army to apply to a film school in London, the London Film School, and I was there for two years, and um, I used that as a springboard to get into the American Film Institute, which is a grad school course in Los Angeles. Um, that was a very exciting time for me. Getting into that course, I thought would be a very big challenge um, as it is kind of the premier American film school. And uh, 
I was I was kind of fortunate that the London Film School had such a strong film uh, background and instruction that I was able to use that to catapult myself to the cinematography program at the American Film Institute. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So when you first got into video, what about video like really captured your attention? What made you like it so much? Well, I think from about the age of 15, I really went from being a kind of snapshot photographer to being very interested in photography. And I, I really tried to explore that. And it became, you know, along with art and painting, which I've always enjoyed, it became like a creative outlet that I found very satisfying. And uh, so without really knowing anything about video, I just knew I liked the visual medium. I, I thought that I could parlay some of my photography skills into video and they actually do translate, uh, you know, that language is very similar. So you, you take those skills and you can kind of marry them with the, um, with the video skills. So in that army film unit, I, uh, I got to get a, some real um, hands-on documentary experience. And the, the cool thing about that is you, you have to learn a great deal about anticipation. You know, the, the big difference I think between documentary filmmaking and narrative filmmaking is one of them has, um, you know, your, your primary sort of uh, step forward is preparation for um, narrative filmmaking, which is, you know, a controlled environment. There's no reason to not have a total control of whatever you can. Whereas documentary filmmaking is, it's really about anticipation and capturing things happening around you while they unfold. So um, that army film unit was a really exciting, immediate sort of injection into that world. So when it comes to like anticipation, anticipation versus preparation, could you go a little bit more into that? And which one do you like more? Well, you know, so going up through film school and, and the American Film Institute, I was at that point thought, well, here we go. I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to be maybe a director or work in narrative films. I saw, you know, I'd love to work on big giant feature films. And that's the path I thought I would be taking. And, you know, you get to a place like AFI, the American Film Institute, and you get guest speakers coming in like, literally Steven Spielberg and Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson and all these, you know, masters in the craft. And you think, absolutely, this is the path I want to take. And, you know, at that point, I almost sort of pushed the kind of documentary world that I had started in into the background. I thought, well, that's not for me. And I didn't even really aspire to, to moving forward in that direction. Obviously, you come out of film school with these lofty goals and then um, you got to figure out, well, what am I going to do for a career? And you can get into film production at a lower level um, as a camera assistant. It's a great place to start if you want to be in the camera department. And that's where I wanted to be. Or you can get into other modes of filmmaking at a higher level um, as like a director of photography, which is what my job is now mostly. And um, so I went out of film school and started doing documentary style projects and uh, immediately got a job out of um, from my LA uh, world the first job I got of any real consequence was a wildlife documentary in Tanzania. And I, I went and lived for eight weeks in Tanzania, completely surrounded by animals at all times. I would go 20 days at a stretch without electricity or a phone. And, you know, there's nothing more uh, anticipatory than filming wildlife. You have to be very patient. You have to be able to move uh, when the animals move. You have to um, do everything you can from your vantage point to capture um, what's going on. So. That was a real um, leap for me, and uh, I loved it. I think that sort of was the initial shove that pushed me into this kind of documentary world where I've now um, been enveloped the last 30 years. 
That is so cool. So you went to Tanzania and you did a doc and you lived there for eight weeks. So how was it living there? Would you like, what was your daily life there? What you do is you, we got inserted. Um, we had a crew of three. I was the cameraman. I had an audio guy and we had a field producer and we would go to different safari camps and uh, we would work with uh, rangers and they would take us on. We would go and focus on wildlife stories. And, you know, while I was there, I got to do stuff that um, <clears throat> I wouldn't even dare put on my bucket list. And most of my life has been like, what would you not even dare put on your bucket list? Because it kind of comes your way in this world. But uh, one of the things I did, I was probably the first uh, broadcast cameraman to ever capture chimpanzees hunting and killing and eating monkeys, which I didn't even know. I thought they were vegetarian when I got there. And we were up in the Mahali Mountains off Lake Tanganyika in Tanzania, climbing up these mountains through these like rainforests and spending time with the chimpanzees. And all of a sudden, they would just break from being these kind of adorable primates that you'd expect and, uh, you know, spending time fairly close to them. Like, you know, maybe the closest you get is three or four feet away. And they just sort of go about their business and you quietly go about yours. But out of nowhere, they started screaming and thumping their, their fists against tree trunks and like beating against the ground. And I'm talking about like 85 to 100 chimpanzees screaming is one of the loudest things I've ever encountered to the point that I had to put the camera on the ground and block my ears. It was you know, exhilarating and frightening and adrenaline rush. And then they would just tear off into the jungle and you'd sling the camera on your shoulder and off you go. And we had some guides with us that had machetes and they would just carve a path. And it was one of the most exhilarating, exhausting things ever until we catch up to the chimpanzees who have now chased monkeys to the highest points of these treetops. Monkeys can get higher than the chimps, obviously, but the chimps are just relentless and they, they get as high as they can in the trees and they shake the branches and they scream until the monkeys are so disoriented that they tumble out of the trees and are then pulled limb from limb by these chimps. And I'd never seen anything like that before. I didn't even know it existed when I woke up that morning. So that was just uh, a jolt and a real thrill to be, uh, and to be told the whole time, no one's captured this on video before. So a huge thrill and um, just one of many uh, in, in that first stint in Tanzania, you know, doing stuff on foot with elephants and, you know, dealing with lions and leopards hunting and just and unbelievable access to um, hippos and things like that, really. By the time I came back from that, I kind of felt um, that the immediacy of, of this type of, of uh, production was probably where I was going to head. And it certainly has, you know, I've done the occasional uh, narrative feature films since and various, you know, projects that are narrative, but really that, that first injection of the immediacy of capturing an event like that has kind of stayed with me and fueled what I do to this day. That's, that's just insane. Um, was it like really dangerous while you were like running through the jungle? I think, you know, you, you always take your cues from the, the, the professionals around you. So um, they just sort of made us understand that this is part of, you know, the natural progression and that we, you know, the only thing dangerous I would say is, you know, turning your ankle on a route or something really, you just had to take care of yourself. There was no threat like that. There were other encounters where I had to be very careful where I was out of a vehicle with lions. And, um, but again, you have rangers with you and they tell you exactly what, you know, you need to do to protect yourself. So yeah, an exhilarating eight weeks for sure. And, uh, and certainly that began um, my kind of thrill ride in the documentary world. So where did you transition from your Tanzania experience, what documentary or job did you have after that or project? Well, that was, you know, so one of the things I didn't even realize I was doing on that trip is, you know, I went out 
flew from LA through London to Tanzania with all this video equipment. And when you arrive with a ton of you know gear like that in a foreign country, you you take it through with a thing called a carnet, which is basically a passport for equipment. And you know, I, so I did all that procedure, and you go through customs and you bring it all back to the states when you're done. And I didn't even realize that I now had a skill that people look for. So I was getting calls for jobs that were happening outside the country, and one of the first questions they asked was like, "Have you dealt with a carnet? Do you know how to move gear from country to country?" And I'd say, "Oh yeah, sure, I can do that." And suddenly that became a calling card. You know, you think you're going to bring your kind of reel of all your exciting visuals and um, your hopefully warm personality, but um, the thing people are suddenly looking for is your kind of skill with bureaucracies of other countries. So I've, I found that kind of really handy. And um, you know, to this day, I've counted since I moved to LA, I've been sent to 31 countries for work, um, which is very exciting. And so each of those is a project that um, has fueled my curiosity. It really, to a great extent, feels like I'm on the world's greatest grad school course. Um, I think it almost feels like I've been on 50 semesters abroad. You know, I think uh, I can understand why a lot of people get in a funk when they when they leave school and maybe they don't know why, but I feel like just kind of having access to knowledge and learning new things has been so satisfying. You know, you go to a country and you'll spend a day or three days or a week with like the expert on the planet in whatever subject that you're covering, be it historic or geographic or military or um, medical, you know, so you suddenly get this access to people and cultures and history that you would pay for. And now you're being paid to go capture it. And uh, it may end up in a documentary or a TV show. And what you do in any given day, maybe 10 minutes of programming or 15 minutes of programming. But when you're there, you're there for the whole day being fed all this information, you know, so, and it's not all culturally uh, thrilling, you know, one day maybe going to the inner depths of a Buddhist temple in Sri Lanka, another day be, might be, what's the coolest nightclub in Monte Carlo, um, which is still fun to find that stuff out, but uh, uh, it's very varied. The subject matter is, is I, I feel like I've covered so many uh, worlds in this, in the last 30 years of my career. And uh, just so satisfactory, you know, the stuff I've done medically, gone on medical missions, I've shot probably 65 surgeries and uh, covered fertility treatments and childbirth and therapy. Like that's a whole world that I could do, you know, just by itself and be satisfied. But you couple that with wildlife and military and historical stuff and reality TV and music and comedy and sport and true crime. Suddenly you have kind of a bounty of knowledge and, you know, a world of experience. And uh, whenever people talk to me about what it's like in the business, I think that's what I put front and center as, as, as a thing that's, that's most satisfying to me. Certainly the, uh, the loss of a, if you want to call it a loss, the feature film world that I was aspiring to, um, I don't think of that as a loss at all. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with these uh, opportunities I've been given. And um, I'm just excited for more and more. So it sounds like you really get a holistic view of pretty much every single occupation in a sense, because you're just traveling to all these different places. And I know like for any young people watching, could you just describe a little bit the importance of traveling? And I guess one thing that you get out of every single experience when you travel. I think everybody has something about travel that, that excites them. And, and, and for many people, it's daunting and 
they they're not comfortable but i've i've always found that you know since way back in sort of backpacking around europe it's very, very easy to do i think the hardest part about travel is packing and going to the airport for the first leg of your trip once you get there you're surrounded by people no matter whether you're there on a vacation or if you're there for work but people in that country are there to help you out they want to facilitate things for you and um we're very fortunate that this planet is really a place where everybody will speak english i've been to the the middle of turkey and 10 year olds will speak english to you there i've been to um you know all over europe and asia and and wherever you go there's just this this you are received and um it's a great privilege we have you know being english speakers because that is it's truly universal and uh the thing i love most about travel is as cohesive and universal as the world is it's still fortunately very different from country to country nation to nation and i love getting immersed in the the smells and the tastes and the food and the music and the art and the architecture and the just behavior and 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 uh, human experience wherever i go and the, and the natural experience you know I, i can't rule out just you know natural wonders and geographic wonders and wildlife so yeah that that's just the biggest tug if any opportunity i get that that affords me travel i'll leap at that and that's that's become probably what i strive for the most is what what can i do that's i could deem exotic where can i learn something new and um it doesn't mean always that i'm leaving the country to do that i've had a, a wealth of experiences just doing projects within the us which in itself is very varied and has um a lot of exciting stuff to offer so kind of like i guess with the chimpanzees in tanzania was there any other like experience that you had that really like stood out to you well there are a great number so <laughs> i was very lucky um to get selected to be a documentary camera guy to go on an expedition to the titanic and this was um with james cameron he had completed titanic and his next project was going to be a 3d imax exploration of the wreck i don't even now know how lucky i was to get that but um i went on as a kind of single guy single you know crew member to join this crew as their behind the scenes documentarian and that meant i got to go uh, up to st john's newfoundland where i joined this crew and um we lived on a russian research, russian research ship um the same ship that's used in the modern day uh parts of the film titanic and uh from that ship they had two submersibles that they would send down to the wreck and uh i got to live on this ship with the foremost historians uh, artists and scientists that were involved in the history of the titanic and the current state of the titanic wreck and you know on top of that i'm living on a ship that's mostly filled with russian crew members and uh so that's a cultural exchange happening there and very exciting thrilling time in the north atlantic on that project wow that that's it just sounds like every single experience you have you're literally like you said with the expert in whatever thing you're doing yeah. so it sounds like you're getting the best information possible no matter where you go and the most passionate information so you know we were on that ship with uh you know historians had read had written many books on titanic you could say a a room number and a deck level and they could go oh yeah that was the o'brien family or something you know they just knew it backwards and they were just so passionate about the subject matter and then you had these scientists that were exploring the sort of 
the rustical cultures that were growing all over the wreck at that depth. And they were fascinated and like, you know, I don't know if I um, ordinarily seek out that information, but when you have somebody that's like looking at stuff that's been brought up from the bottom and they're like, they're pouring over it like it's hidden treasure, you know, it's infectious and you, you really sort of leap into the experience. So that was a great thrill. Obviously, um, a, uh, another big element was that I was on that ship during 9-11. And, um, and so we had this like sort of very jarring day where we, a couple of hours ahead of East Coast time, we had sort of completed our morning of work and then came back to hear um, the whole 9-11 story told to me in like three sentences and sort of um, being at sea with, you know, 30 American crew members and uh, 120 Russians uh, for that day was, was, you know, something I'll never forget, especially that, that evening in our dining hall, the Russians played Ray Charles's America the Beautiful uh, over the PA system and uh, a very moving uh, evening after those events that day. Dang. So, so you said that you were the quote unquote camera guy. So were you always doing the same thing when you went to these different countries or did you have various roles um, throughout your career? Yeah, my, so my career has, I would say, 80% of it has been, I'm a guy with a camera on my shoulder. Um, yeah. And, or a guy that's building kind of elaborate interview setups and then doing interviews. But, you know, the other 20% of my career, I've been able to do some directing. I've directed some reality shows. And that's a whole different, you know, um, approach because that's a documentary feel. But I think people know nowadays that, reality isn't necessarily real. It's just sort of real like. So, you know, I did it. I directed a show for three seasons with Ice-T and his wife Coco called Ice Loves Coco, which was just a fun kind of rollicking, joyous reality show. Not one of the, you know, often they're, they're sort of uh, conflict driven with people throwing wine in each other's face. This was like humor and heart was the, the, the central theme to that. And that was a, a great show where I could kind of understand how you can prepare an entire season of a show that's supposed to be a documentary, but literally before we shot a frame, I could tell you every event that was going to happen in every episode because we planned it out. Obviously the dialogue and all that is improvised as you go, but uh, I love that experience because you can kind of blend the two worlds. So you, you do the anticipation for documentary and you do the preparation for narrative stuff. And we had, we had a lot of fun on that. And um, you know, that was a great immersion into uh, the music world and to the comedy world and to um, fashion and all sorts of things like that. So yeah, I had a great time kind of living in New York where I had always wanted to live and I was there for a year and a half. So good meld that one. Yeah. It just sounds like you just get so many experiences like a reality TV show versus going to the Titanic versus filming chimpanzees. It just feels like everything. Um, and yeah. I know you also did the um, Imagine Dragons you were the cinematographer for that. Could you go a little bit more into that and your experience with them? Yeah, so I think overall, that's the most satisfying project I've worked on. And that is a film called Believer, which focuses on um, Dan Reynolds, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, uh, who was born and raised in the Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormon. And now he's an international uh, superstar with Imagine Dragons. And this film deals with him reconciling his... Um, worldview that he has from traveling and, and and interacting with folks all over the world with his upbringing, which is um, in the Mormon church. And particularly where the two rubbed together um, was how the Mormon church uh, deals with the LGBTQ community. And um, 
he uses this film firstly to sort of reconcile his beliefs that he was raised in with like his beliefs now and then as we sort of worked on the film it became a mission for him to actually do something about it he recognized he has a voice and he has an audience and what can he do to uh shift how the church te uh, treats the lgbtq community and he was particularly focused on the youth so uh, for people that don't know um, the mormon church has declared homosexuality to be a sin they consider it an abomination and you could be raised uh, in that church in a family that adores you which is encouraged people that love you the community is almost like a tribe of loving individuals but there's always this dark shadow of, well, what if my child reaches puberty or before or later and, and realizes they're gay? Like, what do we do with them? And there's no equipment given to these families except the knowledge that that's a sin. And, uh, you know, the, the great tragedy is many people think this is why Utah has the most accelerated teen suicide in the country. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, families that have broken apart and kids that have left their homes and then fallen into drug addiction and, and risky behavior. And um, it's because the, the folks don't have the equipment to kind of marry the two worlds of what do I do if I'm gay? What if I do if someone in my family's gay? And how do I still stay in the church? Because the options aren't great. And so this film explores that, but on a sort of bright and kind of uplifting thing is Dan Reynolds decides he's going to do a concert to highlight this and it builds to a music festival including other mormon musicians musicians from um, around the world and uh that became just a thrilling project to be a part of you know right up until the culmination where i got to stand literally on the front of a stage with a rock band with a seething crowd of just adoring fans and i got for one day in my life to feel what it feels like to be a rock star and uh i would do that for free that is that is quite a ride to be on stage and have people respond to every note and you know interaction from the the band to the the fans so that was a huge thrill to be a part of that film and um you know it's 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 tragic and uplifting and it's it's got humor and heart and and music and and a great message and um ultimately some hope so if anyone has an opportunity i highly recommend that as a a great uh documentary film and uh, that took me on my first experience to take a film that i was involved in to the sundance film festival which is again an, an another thrill of its own i've been there with friends that had films and, and loved that experience but to actually go there and uh be a part of that festival and um mix with people and then have have the reaction which the film had was just uh, a bounty of joy i loved that it was great that's amazing. Um, at the end of the day, when, you know, through traveling and through all the stuff that you do, what is the underlying thing that really makes you quote unquote happy? Well, I think that if this job was my hobby and I did something else for a job, that would, um, that would fit perfectly. You know, I, I guess my, my hobbies are still photography and painting, but if it was the other way around and I got to do still photography, as my job and videography or documentary filmmaking as a hobby. It's that same central desire to be creative and involve myself in creative activities. And um, I think that 
if you could ever do that in your life is 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 have a sort of blurred line between your hobbies and um you know recreation and your career i think that'd be just uh for me that is anyway a terrific balance and um i'm so psyched that i have that that opportunity you know i love feeding my curiosity and uh i love the uh the fuel that creativity gives me and it doesn't have to be me doing it you know i think witnessing creative endeavors of other people is is equally satisfying i think going to an art museum or an art gallery and just seeing what other people are doing not buying it necessarily but just sort of witnessing witnessing architecture design um all that just having that can you know continually circling through my life is really what fuels me yeah i mean like i feel like your hobbies are basically your jobs and i feel like if anyone could have their hobby as a job it doesn't really feel like a job because you just love doing it so much um, exactly you know and i think some people really like their hobbies to be very different from their job so that they can you know that 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 fuels them that they have this thing that's very different from their job as an escape and even if they're very satisfied with what they're doing and i'm sure a lot of people do do that um i love having a kind of parity between the two and uh i'm just delighted that, that i can keep that going i guess my last formal question would be if you had to give advice to your 18 year old self what advice would you give him <laughs> okay i think what i would tell myself is don't get hung up on what you think you want to do and uh you know when i earlier talked about how i'd always aspired to do these you know big narrative feature films and things like that and maybe i made it sound like it was a sort of smooth transition but for a long time i felt like i was missing a lot when um when i wasn't involved in those projects you know particularly coming out of these schools where you you know sit across from steven soderberg and and spielberg and 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 um and have these these seminars where you you walk out going i have all the knowledge to do this myself and you don't really but um um i think i i really was yearning for like that version of this career and um it took some of these projects that really invigorated me to to realize that i'm you know i'm not doing i'm doing i, I think better than bill gates's bucket list you know some of these these opportunities you wouldn't dare put on a, a bucket list because they would be too presumptuous i've i've been lucky enough to be you know flown onto aircraft carriers and you know experience that tail hook and spend a day on an aircraft carrier and then get shot off the next day i mean that's that's incredibly rare who gets to do that i've been in the catacombs under rome i've done uh you know trips uh through these beautiful canyons in montana with you know disabled veterans from iraq and afghanistan and and, and listen to them tell their stories in this like heroic american landscape that they were out there fighting to protect and you know just getting their world and and uh access to sports greats and it just goes on and on it's uh, it's been a litany of um very special experiences and uh yeah it's fed my curiosity it's it's taught me to be interested in stuff that i hadn't considered before and um yeah so if i could reach out to my 18 year old self and say there's a big world out there don't get too focused on doing something big and grand in front of a green screen go see what's really out there i think that's what i would that's deliver some good advice um i'm definitely going to use that myself 
thank you for listening to us on this podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.